Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So if you missed last week, uh, I started a series on Moses and how he's finding his identity um, and understanding his identity in God. And last week, we covered Exodus chapter 3 on Moses' first encounter with, uh, with God on, in, the fiery, in the bush. And what we learned was when he had this experience with God, God asked him, he says, I want you to be the leader. I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into salvation, into the promised land. And Moses said, who am I? And so last week we wrestled with that question, who am I? And we saw how Moses had to put aside all the labels that he had, all of the labels he'd put on himself, all the labels other people had put on him, how he had to take away just his religious answers to really dive in and dig deep on who God was calling him to be. And we ultimately learned that it's not necessarily about asking the question, who am I? But it's the better question is, who am I with God? Because every time Moses would ask that question, God would answer, I am with you. And even with God's name, he says, I am. I am the great I am. Meaning, I'm not the God of the past. I'm not the God of the future. I am the God right now. The active, present God that's going to be with you for eternity and forever. And we had to recognize that through our brokenness, through that we have to surrender to the calling God's put on our life. The identity we find in Christ, not necessarily in ourselves. And so I spent last week going through 80 years of Moses' history, and today we're just going to cover an hour of Moses, another experience that he had. So go ahead and turn in your copy of Scripture to Exodus chapter 33. And I'm going to try to cover Exodus 33 and 34 because this is an important experience that Moses has, has with God. And we're going to learn how Moses gets a reassurance of who his identity is. As you're you're turning there, let me give you a little bit more background of what's occurred to here. So Moses agrees. He finds his identity in God, and he he commits to following through with God, and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt. He convinces the Pharaoh through God's help with the the plagues. Many of y'all have seen this story, heard the story. You had the ten plagues, and he experiences miracles, and they lead, and they get to, to a sea. They get out, and they think doom is at hand. They think they're about to die. And God delivers them into salvation. He parts the Red Sea. They walk across it and they are saved. They're not destroyed. They get to live another day and they get to to escape all of the the slavery of Egypt. And of course, the Israelites are all gracious people and they, they, they don't complain or not. They're just grateful to be alive. No, of course, they start complaining. They complain because they don't have the food that they had in Egypt. Well, God gives them food. It's not the same food, but God provides for them. They're they're thirsty and God provides water to them. And it doesn't matter how much they do, it just seems like it's not enough. And the idea and, and what God told Moses was, I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt so that they can worship me on this mountain. And that happens. Everything occurs. They're able to get to the mountain that Moses had his experience with. They're at the bottom of the mountain. They're waiting on on Moses to come down and give instructions because Moses went to go meet with God to get the instructions on how to worship. Very detailed guidebook. 
but they were impatient. They made mistakes. They decided to worship there, but worship the wrong idol. They created their own idol. They, out of impatience, out of, they wanted to go back to what they were comfortable with because it's uncomfortable being in a mountain waiting for God. And they didn't want to wait anymore. So they made an idol, a calf idol, which would have been an idol that was a Canaanite god or an Egyptian god. It was something they were comfortable with. And it led to them causing anger in God. God was so angry with them, he was ready to destroy them. He even tells Moses, Moses, I'll just start over with you. I'm going to wipe them clean. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to start with you. My people will be starting with you now on. That's, that's how it's going to happen. And Moses says, hold on, God. They're your people. They make mistakes. Yes, they're stubborn, but they do make mistakes. Let's, let's give them another opportunity. And God says, okay. You know, Moses talks to God and has that fellowship. And as Moses is coming down, his friend Joshua, his aide, is saying, hey, I hear something that sounds like war cries happening down there. It doesn't sound like they're worshiping God. It sounds like they're doing something else. And when they experience it, they see the people rebelling. They're, they're taking matters in their own hands. And Moses gets mad and does what a lot of us do when we get mad. We throw things. He just happened to have stone tablets that God had etched by his finger and threw them on the ground to destroy it. Probably not the best, best move. But he was angry. And he sits there and he's like, what do we do now, God? Because God comes back and he meets with them. And this is what God tells them. God says, I will no my presence will no longer be with y'all. I will send a messenger to guide you because I've sent you a pillar of fire. I've sent you a pillar of cloud. I've been in those opportunities, but now it's just going to be an angel. You're just going to follow an angel to where I need you to go into the promised land. Moses does not like that. That's where we pick up the story, and that's where we pick up in, math, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 33. Turn with me, 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by, the, by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with the people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. What a unique conversation. A unique experience. You have Moses who is, the, is the, the speaker for the people. The leader that God has ordained to be before them. And, and here he is struggling. His anxiety is on level 12. He's stressed because he's leading a bunch of complaining people that are ungrateful and nothing will ever satisfy them. It's constant whining. It's constant complaining. And then... The Lord God, the one he had an, a, a, a changing experience with, says, I'm 
going to send a messenger, but I am removing my presence from you. Their very identity, Moses' identity is in the presence of God. That's how he found it. And for him to say that he's going to be removed that, that is awful. I think that's the very definition of hell. The very definition of hell is removing the presence of God from you. Which is more terrifying than fire, brimstone, and sulfur. Because imagine you have no one to cry out to when you're confused. Imagine you have nowhere to turn to when you're lost. Imagine when you feel hopeless and you have no hope in this life because you've removed the presence. You've removed yourself from that presence. I am thankful that the times that I have struggled, the times I have been depressed, the times I have been stressed and anxiety-filled, I have someone I can turn to and I know His presence is going to be with me. I've called upon that presence and I've learned to know that even more. But Moses thinks hell is about to hit here. Because God said, I will send a messenger. And some of you, y'all don't mind a messenger. Y'all pray for a messenger. We would be satisfied if we messaged. You've said prayers. God, just show me the direction you want me to go. If you would just write it on, you know, just put it in the clouds for me. I'll follow it. Or if you want to write little, you know, arrows in the direction I can path, that'll be fine. Or, hey, if you just want to send an angel in front of me to walk behind, I would gladly accept that. But for Moses, that's not enough. Because it's only through God's presence that transformation will happen. It's only through His presence that you can feel secure and confident. Messengers are one thing and they're fine, but it's not God's presence. And here we have Moses who sits and he says, Okay, God, if you tell me who's going to send. Tell me who's going to lead us. I need you. And he even says, God, give me your presence. I need your presence. Without your presence, I am nothing. What a confessional statement to make. And he doesn't even listen because if you kept reading in, in 12 and 13, he's like, he, he's telling God, I know if you're pleased with us, if we're your people, if we're holy and consecrated and set apart, you will be with us. And, Mo, and God's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I know you by name. Moses continues, if you really, I need your presence. Lord, he's not listening. And finally, God's like, I will be with you because I know you by name. And then the audacity that Moses has. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, as I'm reading scripture and studying it and as I, as I preach, and I always try to look at it from the different perspectives that, that is being presented. And I imagine what God, I mean, I know I can't, God is not human, he's divine. But I imagine if someone came to me, and it happens, somebody says, Ted, show me your power. Right, parents in the room, your kids do this all the time. You give instructions, you give commands, and, you t- and they come to you and say what? Well, show me. Show me how powerful you are. They test the lines. They try to keep showing and proving that you're not really going to do what you say. You're not going to follow through. If I was God and somebody said, show me your glory, then my comments are going to be, well, did you see a sunrise this morning? How about the sunset? How about you just look around and see what you have? Because that's what I say to my kids when they're complaining about something. I look at them and say, well, do you like the house you live in? Because without me, you wouldn't have the house. Oh, you like that cell phone that you enjoy. Well, guess what? Who pays for that cell phone? I do. So, yeah, you don't need any other credibility. 
That's how I, can, I would be as God, but thankful I'm not. Because when Moses asks, God says, okay, look at what he says in verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Because he's right. To truly see the face of God was, is something we cannot handle. And he tells God, he, and tells Moses, I can't show you my face, but I'll give you a glimpse of my goodness. I'll give you a glimpse of my glory. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put you in the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you because, see, God is not going to leave you high and dry in whatever situation he puts you in. Even when you ask for things, He's going to be there and to guide you and to protect you because God is a God of protection. He's not going to put more on what you can handle. He's going to guide you. And He says, here you are. My goodness will walk in front of you. You go hide in the rock. My hand will be upon you. I'm right here. And you'll get to see the backside. You'll get to see the backside of me, which is an an amazing opportunity for Moses. No one else has really seen God's goodness until you get to Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. And what is God's goodness? Look, real quick, 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. God's goodness, his glory is his character. And the reason we don't get, we can only see glimpses of his character is because we can't handle it. Think about it this way. I've heard this phrase a little bit when when people have been in a, a moment that is just so filled with love, they can't stand it. Like, I am, I am so full of love right now. I don't know what to do. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe it's been like this, or maybe you can envision it this way, because this is kind of how I envision it. You're stressed out. You're worried. You're depressed. And somebody says, you get to go to this place, and there are going to be puppies everywhere. You're just going to walk in the door, and there's just going to be a, a room full of golden retriever fluff balls that are soft and calm and playful. And they're just going to come run up to you. They're going to want to, they're going to lick you. They're going to want to cuddle with you. They're going to want to be petted. You know, because that's the greatest, for some of us in the room, that's like joy. Because you wouldn't know what to do if you just got in there and puppies are all over you. And you're just filled with so much love, you can't take it anymore, right? You don't know what to do. You're going to hold them. You're going to be so overwhelmed by the goodness of the puppies that you're not going to know what to do. You can't stand it. Or some of you in the room, maybe it's holding a baby, that that sleeping baby that's just so nice and cuddly and swarm on you that you just, 
you're just in bliss. It's the ultimate area where you don't know where to go. And that's just a fraction of the love that God gives us and God has. That's why he says, I can't give you everything because you can't handle it. You couldn't handle all of my goodness. You can't handle all of my character because I am perfect and you are not. That's what God's telling Moses. But yet Moses asked for it. So last week, pop quiz, okay, I gave you a theological term of last week's encounter with Moses in Exodus 3. Do you all remember what that term was? Theophany. You can learn again this week. Theophany. It's, your, it's basically a fancy term that means God reveals himself to humans. Okay? That's what a theophany is. Now, this is, the, this is another theophany that we see where there is an encounter between human and God. The first encounter Moses had in Exodus 3, when Moses sees God and hears God's voice, it says he, he hid his face. Moses was scared to death, which I don't blame. The times God has spoken to me when I haven't been expecting it scares me to death. And I've been afraid because it's like, okay, you know, either it's going to be the end of my life and I'm going to go meet with him or he's about to ask me something hard. Either one I don't really like. But he was scared. But this time, Moses is asking for the glory. He's not scared anymore. He's inviting it. So what would change in a year? In a year, what would change where he is inviting God to see face to face, to inviting his presence, to be with the almighty creator? Well, it's dependence. It's a life change. Moses realized that he couldn't survive without God. His dependence of God was greater than anything else he could ever need. That's what it means to be a follower of God and Jesus. That's what it means to have faith. When you put all of your faith into God, the creator of the world, that's what it means to be dependent and to be committed to following him. And that's what the example we see with Moses. He needs the presence. He needs it more than anything. Because he needs to be reassured of who he is. Because he knows that the answer to this question of who am I, it's God with me. Well, I don't know if God's with me. So he says, I need to know you're going to be with me. Many times we take these, these characters and we don't know how to live within them. We think they're just characters in a story, but they're just like us. We can be like Moses. We can experience God's presence just like Moses did. If we invite it and if we take the same example that he said. So for the rest of the turn, I want us to look at how we can find assurance with God. How we can create these reassurance. The first thing you have to do is have an intentional place to meet with God. Look back at Exodus 33. Exodus 33, 9. As, God, as Moses went into the tent, or verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. 
The first thing you've got to do if you want reassurance with God is you've got to create an intentional place to meet with Him. An intentional place. Now, we need to be careful with this. Because we don't need to be legalistic. Because that's what got the, the Israelites in trouble. God delivers and says, hey, this is, the, this is how you're to worship. And you need to create a space. And what we're going to do is we're going to call it the Holy of Holies. And we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to put some uh, memorabilia in there. We're going to put all of this religious stuff so you can encounter God and be remembering of God. And so they felt like that was the only place they could encounter God. But when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that place? The veil was removed. The Holy of Holies was separated and God says, you have open invitation to meet with me. There was a, a movie and a book that came out called War Room a couple years ago. Nothing wrong with it. Great idea. Taken from Matthew 6 where it says to find a place, find your closet and pray. The problem begins is when we start using those as the only places we can meet with God. And God is not controlled by that. Moses asked for God's glory to be revealed. But God's glory was revealed when God wanted to interact with him. The, the place was being intentional and alone. That's what we need to learn from this. He, he created a tent outside of the community. Which means Moses wanted to create something. He spent time preparing a place for that area. Now, I'm not a camper, okay? I don't like going camping. It's just not my thing. Some of you in the room are great, mainly because tents are hard to put up. When my oldest was young, three or four, somebody got him a tent, okay, because he wanted to go camping. And the closest we're going to go to camping is in our living room, right? Amen? So what we do, we, we finally got it up, and we had it in the living room at a time. We had it downstairs in the playroom at a time. He wanted it on his bed at one time. We put it on his bed. We never, once we got the tent up, we never took it down. Why? Because they're hard to put up, and they're hard to put down. They're frustrating. So when I hear Moses, he put up a tent, I'm like, he was serious. He was serious. It, it, he wanted to be intentional about meeting with God. So where's your place? Where's your intentional place where you can meet? It can be anywhere. It can be in your bedroom. It could be in your port, on your porch. It could be on the beach, watching the waves come in. The place is you've got to be intentional of meeting place to meet with God. You alone. When Jesus got up, when he wanted to meet with God, he got up early in the morning, separated himself from the group to pray and meet with God. The night before he's crucified, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes people with him. He's like, hey, y'all stay over here. I'm going over here because I need to have a good conversation with God. I need his presence. The time I've experienced God's presence or when I'm alone is when I've been intentional. And it's been in my car. It's been in the ocean. It's been in my bedroom. It's been in my kitchen. It's been in church. It's been in my office. You know, that's the point is that you're preparing yourself to meet with God, to have fellowship with him, the intentionality and to be alone. Moses did that. He went there because he knew he needed to get rid of the distractions. And he needed to focus on God. Remember what he told Moses, what God told Moses? This is holy ground. Separate yourself from everything else. 
give me your attention. And Moses took that to heart. So you need to find that place where you can put your attention in God, wherever it may be. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is you need to communicate with God regularly. Look at this in verse 12. 33, chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me. You have been telling me. You know what that phrase tell, is mentioning? He is in constant communication with Moses. In other words, it wasn't a one and done deal. It was a constant thing. It was Moses, God's calling, I need you to lead the people. I need you to lead the people. I need you to lead the people. Because God's going to repeat his commands to you to be obedient, to want you to serve. And so there's a constant communication. That's why he's able to ask for his glory because he's saying, I've been listening. Some of the greatest words a parent can hear from their child is, Mom, Dad, you were right. You've been telling me these things. I finally listened and you were right. You had my best interests at hand. Right, parents? I mean, that's usually, that to me, that's God's glory when the parents say that. But anytime you're in a leadership and you say something over and over and over again and they find, somebody finally listens to you, there's validation. There's communication. It says that when he built that tent of meeting, it says they, God was able to talk to him like a friend. Imagine your, your best friend. We have a, you know, everybody usually has a best friend, somebody that they can't think, think they can live without. They have to talk to on a constant basis. That's what God wants. He wants constant communication. Some of you would go, can't go a day without talking to your best friend. Maybe it's your spouse. I know for me, I couldn't go a day without talking to my spouse. It's a presence that I need. And so Mo, Moses says this. He needs constant communication. That's why he's able to say, you have been telling me this. I have been listening to you. There's validation to a relationship there. And, and part of our communication is through prayer. Prayer is the easiest way we communicate with God because that's, our, that's how we talk to Him. But we have to listen as well. And as you're talking to God, as your prayer life happens, it needs to be more than just you requesting things. There's nothing wrong with you asking God, I need you to help me in this moment. I feel down. I need you to help. There's nothing wrong with these short, but to have reassurance of who God is and to feel his presence, you need to do more than treat him like a therapist. He's the creator. He's the God. In Matthew 6, Jesus even gives us a better illustration because the Pharisees had missed this mark. They had missed this completely. They thought it was a checklist item or I just offer up my prayers five times a day and it's fine. No, it's communication with God. And he says, go into a room and pray. Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts with adoration. We're not worthy to truly meet with God. You're wicked and spiteful and you rebel and you make mistakes and nothing ever goes perfect, but God still wants to meet with us. And we need to be thankful that God allows us to be in his presence, that God wants to have communication with us. So you have to show adoration first, then you've got to confess your sins. You really want to experience God's life in your life, the presence? You want to feel that? Confess your sins. And not just an overarching, God, I'm sorry for doing this, Please forgive me of my sins. No, specific, real, honest, vulnerable confession. 
I'm sorry that I did this at this time in this situation. Because that's showing you're vulnerable and you need God at all times. Because we miss the mark. And then the third thing you do in your prayer life is ask for guidance. Moses asked, okay, God, what do we do now? I know that we've sinned. We're stiff-necked people. We're stubborn people. I'm going to fail you again. What do I do now? See, there's, there's invitation of a response. When God speaks to you, He gives you commandments, and then it's your, you've got to follow through with that. You've got to surrender and be obedient. So you've got to communicate with God, and then you've got to follow through. Just like He says, okay, Moses... Verse 30, chapter 34, verse 1. Then the Lord said, chisel out two stone tablets, like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Which, just a side note, I appreciate that little phrase, which you broke. It just God gives them the reminder that I did this once. We're going to do it again. I'm a God of second chances. But you broke the first ones. Just remember that. See, there's a command that followed, and Moses followed through. He didn't just sit back and go, man, I, that, was a good, that was a good experience, good job, and go back and live in his life. No, it says, God says, go find two tablets and chisel out. And what did Moses do? He found two tablets and he chiseled out. Because when did God meet with him? Not that day, the next day, when it was God's timing. God wants to see you follow through. That's where that communication happens. And then the third thing is to study God's word. There's a reason God told him to find stone tablets to chisel the words that they were going to speak to each other. Not a parchment. He was not to write a journal. It was stone tablets, meaning it was to be there for generations to come. God says, what I'm going to say is important, and I need you to remember it, and I need you to study on it, because it's going to be viable for your life. I get that. I have to write down everything. Just a disclaimer, if you tell Pastor Chris or I or somebody on staff on Sunday something, if we don't write it down, there's a 90% chance we're going to forget it. Because when you're caught up in the emotion and you've got all this going on, if you don't write it down, you forget. And it never fails. Somebody will tell me somebody's in the hospital, somebody's sick, or I need to do something. If I don't write it down, and I don't mean to be rude, if I say, hey, I need to write this down real quick, because Tuesday I'm going to walk into my office and I'm going to go, so what was I supposed to do again? But if you write it down, you can go back and read about it. You can go back and relive the experience. You can go back and study it. And that's what God's telling Moses is that I want you to put it on stone tablets because this is important for you to study. So we have to study God's word. It's important for you to study. If you want to know what God's telling you, his word is right here in this book. And it's more than just reading it. It's more than just checking it off the list. It's spending time looking at what God's words wrote down for you to study through because it will convict you. Paul tells the young pastor Timothy in his second letter, he says that the, the words that God has written down will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for your good work. It's important for you to study God's Word. Are you spending time in God's Word? And I mean more than a devotion. Devotions are not bad. Hear me on this. 
to read a devotion. I've got several devotions. As a staff, we've read devotions. As elders, we write devotions. Devotions are great and they can get you centered, but it's not the Word of God. A lot of times we will spend time reading books by human authors instead of reading the book by the divine author. It's okay to have those devotions, but don't get caught up on reading that same author and that same experience over and over again. Focus on God's Word. And you may be asking, Tad, how do I do that? Where do I start? Every time I've started, I start in Genesis and I get bogged down by all the people. I get it. Start in Mark. All new believers, all youth, I've always said, start with the book of Mark. Why? Because Mark 1 says... This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a great starting point for all things. Start in the book of Mark. If you need more God, and, and when you read scripture, you read a verse, three verses, paragraph, chapter. But the point is to read it and say, what is it telling me? What am I learning from this? What's the background of this? What's the truth behind this passage? How do I apply it to my life? It's more than just reading it and checking it off the list. It's putting it into your heart. Several years ago, we, we were able to relive the Gospels. We did a full church-wide study. For 40 weeks, we were in the Gospels. We had a journal that went with it, with it was just that, reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I still have those journals available if you would like one. Ten years ago, we did the whole Bible called Moving with the Map. Several of you have told me how impactful it taught you how to read Scripture. And really, it simply was, there was a Scripture passage, you read it, you, wrote what it, you rewrote it in your own words, found the truth, and applied it to your life. That's what studying Scripture is. And it doesn't matter how many times you read over it, God will convict you and change your life. I get amazed all the time, even in this series, how I get convicted of what God is trying to teach me. Just by reading Scripture, I've known Moses, and I've read this story as many times, but I learned something new. The more I study. Study God's word. If you need help, I can, we will gladly help you, but stay in God's word. It's written there to help you and to guide you and to give you reassurance of who you are in God. Then the fourth thing you got to do is worship authentically. Moses, when he sees the glory, when he sees the full character of God, he bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. When you experience God's presence, you can't help but be in awe of who he is. When you truly worship is when you take yourself out of the equation. Worship is, is not coming into a fancy room with pretty lights and saying, man, I really hope the music is good today, or I really hope I don't fall asleep in the message. No, it's coming before you saying, God, I am not worthy to be in your presence, but I am here thanking you for your glory. I am entering to this presence. I am taking myself out of it. It doesn't matter what happens because I'm just glad and giving you my all. We call this an altar so you can give away your brokenness. That you can take all of the outside temptations and you put it before the cross and say, I need you more than anything. Worship is declaring your dependence on God. Not your satisfaction of human deeds. Because if you're wanting to experience God, you're going to be humbled. God's presence is humbling. 
You know, one of the reasons I, pre- I enjoy preaching and I ask to preach is because this is worship to me. This is authentic to me because there's nothing more humbling than saying, God saying, you need to go up and you need to share what I have put on your heart. It's a humbling experience to be standing here sharing what God has taught me. The times that I haven't been worshiping authentically is when I have put myself in it and I've gotten on my own soapbox and I've tried to push my own agenda instead of surrendering to God's. If you surrender to God's presence, nothing will go void. You will walk away renewed and challenged because that's what Moses did. He walked away and he proclaims, Lord, I know we're stubborn. Don't leave us. Stay with us. We will follow you. And in the next verses, you see a covenant of renewal. Every time we see, we have an experience, a theophany in the Bible, there's always a call to respond. You can't enter into God's presence and not respond. You can reject Him. You can blow it off and say it's no big deal, or you can surrender and follow through and say, I need more dependence. You know, we may not be able to go up on a mountain and and have a tent meeting and say, God, I need you right here and show me your glory, but we have Jesus. Jesus is who we can look to. And Jesus said this in John chapter 17, where I believe is this prayer in the Gethsemane, where he says, Father, the time has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have given them, the disciples, my followers, the glory that you gave me and that may be one as we are one. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus is God's glory. You just have to look to the cross. You just have to remember of all the things that he's done for you, how your brokenness and selfishness have taken you away from his presence, and it's you removing yourself from him. God's not removing himself from you. You're removing yourself from God. But when you look at the cross, when you look at Jesus, you see the glory revealed. You look at the scripture and you look at in the gospels and it's the good news of how we can follow through to partake in God's glory. But you can only do that through surrender. You can only do that by recognizing that the brokenness in you will not fix itself. You have to repent of all the wickedness that you've done. We make mistakes. There's mistakes every day. Even when we try to bring an experience of worship, there's mistakes. But God is good. God looks past our mistakes. He gives us second chances, third chances, infinity chances to turn to Him because He just wants to be with you. He wants you to see His glory. You have hope in the cross. You have hope in the empty grave. Don't leave here without it. Some of you need to repent. You've tried to remove yourself from God and God keeps pulling you in and you just need to commit your life to them. You need to say, I I can't do it on my own. I I believe that you've wiped away those sins and I need to commit to following you. Some of you need to recommit. You need to say, I've, I've strayed away, but it's, this is the time. I need reassurance, and I need to do these steps to find that reassurance in God. And some of us just need to admit we haven't been worshiping authentically. 
We've been going through the motions. But when we come in here, we're not really wanting to see God's face, feel his presence. We just want to check it off our list and make us feel good. But you need to worship authentically. Maybe now is the time you need to say, I'm here. It's not about me. It's about you. As Mike comes up and read as they lead us in this last hymn, it's about walking with the Master. We're walking with the Master, and I hope that can be your prayer today. Listen to the words. Write it in your heart. Sing it out loud, but don't leave here without being committed to following Him. As you stand up and get ready to sing, let us close in prayer. Father, You're gracious and kind. Your compassion is unconditional. Without your love, we would be nothing. You are our peace. Reveal yourself to us now in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.